0: Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Wilmer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we're excited that you have joined us. We started a series. This is the third week. We started it three weeks ago called The Everyday Spirit. And the whole goal and point of this message is to talk about this mysterious person of the Trinity of God known as the Holy Spirit. Anytime you start talking about the Holy Spirit, it starts to bring questions, it starts to bring doubts, it starts to bring all kinds of struggles and interesting ideas that come forth. And so we wanted to talk about these things. We didn't want them to be hidden. We didn't want them to be confusing. We wanted them to be out in the open and completely understandable but more importantly, why it's important for our life every day, not just on a Sunday morning or not just in a prayer meeting or anything like that, but just every single day. So I am happy to see all of you here today with us as we continue this series. My hope is that the first couple weeks have been, blessed, have been a blessing. If you've missed any of them, log on to our website. They are uploaded. First two weeks are uploaded onto our website, and you can go ahead and listen to anything that you've missed but we have, uh, we're going to jump right into this today, because my hope is to dispel perhaps one of the most mysterious or weirdest things surrounding the Holy Spirit today, and, and, and talk about what it looks like to live a Spirit-filled life. So let's jump right into God's Word this morning. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, we're going to set a little groundwork this morning before we get into everything. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Previously, he had told them that he was going to leave, and of course, then he would be, he would be crucified, and he would ascend into heaven. He would appear to his disciples, and he's, he's telling, he's told them, he told them to wait in Jerusalem for this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he sends the Holy Spirit. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem for that, And he goes on to tell him, but in verse number eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We talked a little bit about this passage last week and defined a few things in this passage, like the idea of being his witness doesn't necessarily mean you are his mouthpiece, rather it's you're his mouthpiece that's willing to die. That's what the word witness actually means. It actually means a martyr. And so, so that's what he's telling people. He's telling them, you will have the power to speak for me, but then also suffer and die for the cause as is necessary everywhere you go. And so this happened, this, then this moment that Jesus spoke of then takes place in Acts chapter two in verse number one, the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place. All of the believers were meeting together in one place. See, there's, there's a unity that comes when there's this, this outpouring of the Spirit, which we'll talk about that again in a few minutes. Then he says in verse 2, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of, mighty, of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Okay, so now we have entered into the realm of weird. Because, wait a minute, there's two things that you see. Pe- a lot of people will just get stuck on the whole day speaking other languages and that was weird. But let's, it gets weird even before that. Because it first says there was a sound, of, a sound from heaven like a roaring mighty windstorm. A sound from heaven that filled a room. There is a sound that actually filled a room. Think about that just from a logic standpoint. How how does a sound fill a room? Usually a sound travels maybe through a room, but this particular sound filled a room. And there's a reason behind that. I'll tell you that in just a second. Then it says what looked like flames or tongues of fire. Imagine a tongue of fire over someone. I told you, this stuff can get very, very interesting. And then they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. So, first of all, let's handle that filled the room, okay? Understand this. This is part of why the Holy Spirit is such a difficult thing to grasp for a lot of people, especially super logical thinkers, because it comes with some thoughts, thought processes that don't seem to make a lot of sense. Like when a sound fills a room. That really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because here's the thing. I could make a sound, but it's now empty out of the room. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he makes a sound that fills a room. Matter of fact, in other parts of Scripture, it says the Holy Spirit's noise reverberates in the atmosphere. Where mine might echo until it gets far away, and then comes the silence. But the Spirit of God reverberates in the atmosphere, and so it's filling a room, and then they, of course, this power upon them, so here's the thing. God's design, when it comes to this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is that it fills the room. This is the room. I am the room. The design of the Holy Spirit is literally to fill the room. It's to fill this space, not so we can rest in it. You feel it? Because here you, you'll see some. See, the Holy Spirit causes people to do some foolish things. And some of them good. Some of them less than good. But you might hear somebody at some point say, y'all need to all stand right here in this area. Because this is where the Holy Spirit is. And I'm like, first of all, we can't get everyone in this area. That don't make no sense. Second of all, the Holy Spirit is not relegated to just a simple space, but reverberates in the entire atmosphere. So I can take and feel the Holy Spirit in the very back of the room sitting on a trash can just as much as you can all the way up here in the altar. So this is, this is part of the weirdness. Like I told you, the Holy Spirit brings weirdness and brings weirdness out in people. Anybody ever been in a weird Holy Spirit conversation, a weird Holy Spirit moment in a church or something where you're like... What the heck's going on here? That's my whole salvation journey. I don't have time to talk about it right now because I got saved in what I call a Pentecostal, a chandelier-swinging Pentecostal church where every imaginable gift of the Spirit was all going on, not at one time because it was orderly, but all in the same day. And so it got a little weird. But then there's some folks, let's just be real. I saw somebody in an altar one time just lay down and start barking like a dog and said that was the Holy Spirit. I'm like... Nah, not according to my Bible, right? So it brings out this weirdness, but there's this beauty in, in it's what it's capable of doing in our lives if we submit ourselves to it. So today, my hope is to, to dispel some of this weirdness. You know, when the Bible first said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power. We talked about that last week when he said you'll receive the power to share Christ boldly. You'll receive the power when you're weak. You'll receive power when you, to have hope in a hopeless world. And you'll receive power to experience the fullness of God. That's the whole point of the outpouring of the Spirit is, is, is these four. Many other things, but these four things is what I kind of categorized them into. But this experience, the fullness of God is the part that has this ending, this, this deep and long rabbit trail this deep, deep hole, the fullness of God, because it's so much more than we actually imagine. So here's the thing that I want, there's there's one, there's a few rumors I'm going to dispel, a few things I'm going to teach, but then get down to why living that spirit-filled life is practical. So it's going to seemingly be two separate thoughts, but I will tie them together, hopefully, and with a nice, pretty bow, and give them to you. So, but here's, there's, there's two things. There's the first thing I want you to understand when it says in verse number four, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a very, very powerful word in that phrase, and it's called everyone. Matter of fact, in some translations, the word all is used. And we all understand and know the deep theological meaning of the word all. It literally means all. It literally means Everyone. So so for someone to say, oh well, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, they're not for everyone. To be filled with the Spirit is not for everyone. Actually, it is for everyone. Whether you decide to utilize it or not is all on you, but they are designed for everyone. This Holy Spirit gives power, he gives abilities, he also imparts into us fruit, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. let's look at this phrase, and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. You know, people were really confused by this. There were people listening, they were hearing, and they're like, "Yo, these folks are drunk. Something's wrong with them. And Peter had to stand up and say, no, they're actually not drunk. They're just filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like, my goodness, it's only nine in the morning. So no, they're not drunk. So what on earth is this tongues thing anyway? I want to I, I preach this because I really feel like this is good information for a believer to have and know. So what is this tongues thing anyway? And so, for like I said, the onlookers were confused. They thought they were drunk. And here we are 2,000 years later, and the same very issue, this gift, is still very controversial in a lot of circles today. And so for those that have been around the church world, oftentimes... When it comes to the gift to, to speaking in tongues, and we're gonna, I'm going to share briefly what the difference there's two there's two instances of tongues in scripture, and I'm going to share briefly the difference between the two. But they oftentimes, when it comes to this this speaking in tongue, the pendulum swings widely one way or the other. Either they they get out here and literally the entire room filled with everybody is just shouting in tongues and, and it's all noisy and you don't understand anything that anybody is saying and you're standing there as the unbeliever, like, where on earth am I at? It's confusing, it makes no sense. Then you have the pendulum swinging all the other way where folks will worship God sitting on their hands and so tight like, don't everybody move at all. I remember when I was, my dad had gotten saved uh, six months after me, I was visiting him in Texas and he went to this, my wife's laughing because she remembers this situation. He went to, I won't even talk about the type of church. If you grew up in church, you'll kind of know what type of church it is. But let's just say nobody moved. Worship didn't even sway them. Like there wasn't even any rocking going on. They were just like staring. I'm like, man, that's just, if I was the worship leader, I'd be like, what? All, what's wrong with y'all? Y'all just staring at me. So anyway, I could care less about where I, where I am currently and presently located when it comes to worship. The worship team was actually pretty good. And so I'm like second row. Hands lifted high, and I'm worshiping, and I'm singing, and there's nobody even singing in the building. And i got my hands up, and I'm clapping, and I'm moving. I'm not even paying attention that there's 400 people in this church, and I'm the only one moving. The pastor would go to my dad later and say, dude, what's wrong with your son? And he would just say, he's Pentecostal. And he'd be like, oh, got it. He's one of them folks. So they swing the pendulum completely the other way. Is it to suggest the gifts of the Spirit passed with the first church? That this tongues thing is, matter of fact, not only is it not biblical, but it's from the devil. So they, we have this whole pendulum theory thing. I think it's associated to a lot of things in our lives. But, and then you have some, I've, I've run across these folks too, that some will say, in order to be spirit filled, you have to speak in tongues. I've heard someone say, you have to speak in tongues to be saved. And I was just like, okay, let's get this dude behind us. Like kind of Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Um, But he's like, to be filled with Spirit means you have to speak in tongues. And there's some denominations put such an emphasis on this tongues that it drives some people away or makes them feel like they're not Spirit-filled. matter of fact, I've experienced this, and I I don't have enough time for all my rabbit trail stories this morning, so I'm going to keep on moving. But I've experienced this very thing. As it related to my wife and being full of the Spirit, and people would suggest that she wasn't because she didn't speak in tongues, but I'm like, yeah, you want to know something? You're sick. Let me have you pray for her and watch what happens to you. Oh, you, 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 you want to be pregnant and you can't be? Yeah, let my wife pray for you. And then you tell me she's not Spirit-filled. I, I, I was about it, so I'm a lot more nice and gracious about it today. But then I'd fight you. Because that's what happens. We, we, we put all these, these disclaimers and these monikers on, on what it means to be spirit-filled, and all we're doing is misquoting scripture or misinterpreting scripture. And so let's take, a look, let's take a couple minutes to look at this confusing part of the Holy Spirit. And although the term prayer language is never actually used, and it's not completely 100% accurate, I'm going to utilize that phrase simply because it, it separates the two types of tongues in scripture. And so I'm using it because it's also a familiar phrase that people have heard. So when a, receiver rece- when a believer receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they receive this power and this ability to speak in tongues. You know, some versions say, as the Spirit would give them utterance, and they would take that to suggest, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's got to start grabbing my lips and shaking them and moving them, and, 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 that's how, and that's how that happens. But actually, it's really not because the word utterance is actually a better translator to say the ability. And anybody, anything that you have the ability to do is subject to whether or not you do it. So speaking in tongues is what you do, not what he doesn't just consume and take over and possess your body and just start running your lips. Right? You've heard some folks have <laughs> been in this altar where they, you, wanna, you, wanna, you, wanna be, you want this baptism of the Holy Spirit and you want to speak in tongues. And they, they, I've heard somebody say, well, you know what? Just start saying things like you should have bought a Honda. I think I'm kidding. I've been in that altar call. I'm like, no, What are you kidding? What are you doing? You should have bought a Honda. Like, oh my gosh. I'm telling you, there's some weirdness around this, right? But, so, but I want to hopefully put away some of that weirdness because part of what, who we are as a church, and I've said this in our growth track, is I believe you can be completely and totally spirit filled without being weird. It's true, you can. And so when they received this ability to speak in tongues, you know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 5, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Meaning this baptized is the Greek Greek word baptizo, which means fully immersed in the Spirit. We just read Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it said you would receive power, and then we just read Acts chapter 2 verse 4, everyone present was filled with the Spirit. And so when we move to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we start to get this teaching from Paul. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 14, or no, chapter 2. For if I pray in tongues, okay, then now we're getting into what it's about. My spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Okay, so when you pray in this thing called tongues, which we're going to use the language, prayer language, your spirit is praying, but you don't understand what you're saying. So then what shall I do? He says in verse 15, I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in words. I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words. I understand. See, it's designed for you to use at your discretion. See, it's the thing people don't realize. It's designed, some people are like, oh, I just couldn't help myself and I had to burst into tongues. Like, no, that's really not how that works. Now, you might have been overwhelmed with the Spirit, and that's what you, that was your manifestation, interpretation of what you were feeling, but it's not an uncontrolled thing. It's absolutely a controlled thing. Matter of fact, the Bible says the gifts of the, prophet are, uh, the, the, gifts of the Spirit are subject to the prophet, meaning whoever has walking in these gifts, it's subject to them to use. I know people who have a, prof, a profound prophetic voice that don't speak to anyone about anything. So it is subject to their use. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'm giving you a bunch of scripture, I know. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, the Bible says, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking to God. Since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. You are speaking to God. So number one, with this whole thing about tongues, is my spirit praying. But my spirit is praying and speaking to God. I'm not speaking to you. I actually once heard and I thought, I thought this was fantastic and I loved it. Somebody said, well, I was sitting next to this person and I could hear them speaking in tongues and that was not the way it's supposed to be. And I went to that person and said, you're speaking in tongues and I heard you. That's not right. And they said, I wasn't talking to you. Now that's a kind of a crass way of saying it, but it's real. That's true. We're not talking to each other this way. Now, there is a gift of the Spirit that's called tongues and interpretation, which is basically a prophetic, s- prophetic movement in tongues. And if it captivates the audience, for instance, which it's happened here before, where you know in the throes of worship, we, we had this moment, this quieter moment in worship. And then over here to where on my left right here, one of these seats right here was a woman, and she just spoke out in tongues. And, um, and I was quite nervous, if I'm being honest. Because where there is that that outspoken word of tongues, there also must be an interpretation of that tongue. And so I'm praying while she's praying and speaking. And I'm like, Lord, God, please give somebody interpretation. Because, Lord, I do not want to have to correct this, number one. Number two, I don't want to miss what you're doing, more importantly, And so certainly she finished and then another gentleman gave an interpretation and it was this powerful moment that we experienced with the Holy Spirit. That is tongues and interpretation because it's meant for prophetic and that's meant for the building up of the body of Christ, the building up of the church, where tongues as a prayer language is meant for building up me personally. And so so this became a new way for us to speak and communicate with God that goes beyond our natural intellect. And let me tell you, it's very important to sometimes go beyond your natural intellect because if your natural intellect live, limits God and what he can do is only, is only capable of what fits in this brain of yours, then you will miss a lot of what God can do. I once heard a Christian scientist say it like this. He says, if I can logic God in my three-pound brain, then that's a God that's not worth serving. And so I don't know about you, but God does a lot of things in and around my life that are completely and totally illogical. And I don't even try to figure it out because I'm smart enough to know I ain't going to figure it out anyway. And so he has this ability that's beyond our natural intellect. And for this reason, we call this prayer language, even though it can be used for different things than just prayer. And we should actually, the Bible tells us we should make use of this ability. According to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So it should be used consistently. And it's not just used for you, but it's also used for others. And so there's so many instances, and I don't have nowhere near enough time to go through them all. But a couple more things that I want to share with you concerning this. Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but Jude 20, the Bible says, but you dear friends must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're building each other up by praying in the Spirit. It also tells us that there are so many ways it benefits the person that is doing it. And we are specifically told that no one understands this language. So here's the thing. If you're praying in English, right? And this is going to sound interesting to some. But if you're praying in your English language, which is fine. I do that quite regularly. But if you're praying in English, then the words that you are speaking are understood by other people. And when other people hear them, there's a tendency in other people to kind of shoot down what you're saying. Well, you're asking for something ridiculous. God doesn't care about that. He doesn't have time to be bothered with that. Or, more importantly, the enemy that resides in this earth and seeks it for whom he may devour and destroy could speak into your mind and say, Seriously? You really believe that? Really think God's capable of doing that? But here's the thing. When your spirit prays, you don't even know what you're saying. But God understands. And that communication is meant to be between you and God. Back to 1 Corinthians 14, 2, which I just shared. You have the ability to speak in tongues. You'll be talking only to God. This is, I believe, a faith activity between you and God. You know, if other people understand what you're saying, then it's not an issue because you're saying what you're saying. If, if other people don't understand what you're saying, it's not really an issue because it's not intended for them. Now, let's talk a little bit about that because I have a personal, like in, in how, I, how, I, how I feel led to lead this church as it relates to this. You know, there are some churches you can go to and they'll, they'll stand up there and they'll sing out in tongues for everyone to hear. Personally, I, I don't have a theological issue with it, but I have a practical issue with it. My practical issue is this. The unbeliever sitting in, this, in, the, in the audience in a church setting it would be like, these people are freaking nuts and drunk. I'm out of here. My desire is to win that person to Christ. My desire is to love that person. To show, to, to, I, I believe, here's what I believe. I believe you earn the right in people's lives to speak things like this into their lives. Speak truth. I don't, get, I don't have the right to speak truth just because someone gave me a microphone. I have the right to speak truth because I have met people's needs. That's so what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus, when he, was, when he was preaching to the crowd and they were getting hungry and he fed 5,000 people, obviously it's more than that. Bible only counted men back then. And so when he said 5,000 men plus their women and family and children, he was preaching. He was sharing his grace. He was sharing his love. He was empowering them. And his disciples said, they're hungry. We got to let them go. He's like, no, feed them. See, that, 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 that fixes the whole premise. to say, oh, well, you're hungry. Go ahead. I'll let you go eat. Oh, oh, you're hungry? Come on, let's go eat. And I pay for it. I'm feeding them. So Jesus fed them. He met their needs so that he could continue to preach the gospel. So I, I feel like you earn the right to speak and teach some of these things into people's lives. And so when it comes to that, like I said, it's, I don't have a deep-rooted theological issue with it. I have a more practical issue with it. Now, Changing the atmosphere, that's that's how I feel about Sunday morning and church. Change the atmosphere to a prayer meeting. Change the atmosphere to a night of worship. Change the atmosphere to where it's a, a gathering of believers. Where everyone is at different maturity levels, but everyone in the room is a believer. Everyone is sold out to the idea of Scripture being their guide and being their life and being fully, fully perfect. I don't really care what takes place there. You pray in tongues and I hear it. I'm cool. You sing in tongues. I'm cool. Because again, there's a likeness with one another. It's not one of these, oh man, there's unbelievers in the room. and We got to be careful. It's, there's this, there's just this, this just release. But again, I look at these things a little differently than others. And I don't have a problem with people who look at it differently than me at all. This is just the way I feel led to lead here. And so, like I said, and I think it's okay in a group setting, assuming that you are all of one accord, of one faith, and doing it for the right reasons. But it is controlled. That's why I've even asked, even on my worship team, if you feel that coming on because you know it's coming, all I ask is just take the microphone away from your face. I'm not asking you to not worship that way. Just don't speak it out for everyone else. And So again, and I personally, again, personally, I don't go all in and pray like that in front of non-believers. I don't go out of my way in front of them that don't understand it. I want to bring teaching to what they don't understand. So, but a group of believers, yeah, I'll pray that way. So that's the idea of speaking in tongues. It has got this unbelievable power. And if, you, if you've if you ever wanted to receive it, but haven't, there's typically not, I'm not, this is a generalization, but there's typically some kind of roadblock between your mind and speaking it out. There's something there, whether it's a fear, whether it's a, 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 a doubt or whatever there's something there that might keep you from really pursuing that and that's something we can pray for and something we can walk through that's something we can even do together privately or we can even do in an altar at some point in time that's something very easy to actually pray through i will not tell you to come up here and start talking and say should have bought a honda because that's not how you get folks filled with the spirit <laughs> right so, but there's a very practical part of being filled with the spirit that the Bible talks about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that then happened in, in Ephesians or Acts chapter 2. It's not just relegated to tongues, although it, that was the very first manifestation of this outpouring of the Spirit. That's not all it was relegated. Matter of fact, if you study through scripture and study through the book of Acts, you'll find so many things that took place when they when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They preached boldly. I mean, just look at Peter as the evidence of that. Peter, who was the guy who cowered away from an 11 or 12 year old girl and ran away and denied Christ, would be the very same person that would preach under the power of the Holy Spirit to see 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. You can preach boldly. Matter of fact, there's other instances in scripture when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place, they prophesied. So there's, a, there's, this, whole, there's this whole realm of what's possible when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I a perfect example. Like I, I I love my wife, and I like to. I I love watching her operate in. The gifting that God gave her, we have, we have a friend, and it's really more my friend than anyone else's friend. I worked with her at Chick-fil-A, and they struggled to have a child. They struggled to get pregnant for a long time. Even IVF wasn't working. Things were not working, and they were desperate to, to, be, to be parents. They had this passion, this love, and a desire to be parents. And I built this relationship with this young woman over the 7, 16, 17 months that I worked with her. And when they were leaving, I was like, hey, I want to take you guys to dinner. Right? I, I, want, I, want to, I want to take you guys to dinner. I want to enjoy some time together. And so we went, my, her, her and her husband, me and my wife, and we fellowshiped together and we had a great meal and enjoyed each other's company. And then I just said, hey, I, and I even told her, I wasn't, didn't spring it on her, I told her beforehand, I was like, I'd love for my wife just to pray for you. And she was like, cool. And so very simply, my wife just put her hand on her shoulder and just prayed that God would open her womb. It's very simple, it wasn't even that long. Just a very simple prayer, laid her hand on, prayed that God would open her womb. Pulling into our driveway, just a few weeks later, I get a FaceTime, getting a FaceTime from Sam, and I'm like, why is she FaceTiming me? Maybe this is an accident. So I hit the button, and there's her face, and her and James are sitting next to each other. My wife does not even let him get it out. She robbed them of their thunder. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But she said, y'all are pregnant, aren't you? And she's like, Yes! That's the evidence of a spirit filled believer. Someone can lay hands on someone who's not capable of having children and they can have children. See, God is a God of miracles. That matter of fact, that power that is referred to in Acts chapter 1 8, that word power is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. It comes and makes a difference. It comes and blows things apart that you imagine they were one at one point in time and it just shapes them completely differently. And it doesn't always have to, and it, not everything is an instantaneous response to I me. Mean, I could go on and on. There's been, I can't even count how many families and women that she's prayed over that have struggled with fertility and have had children. I'd, seriously, it's not just like, oh, that happened once. It's like it happens all the time. Matter of fact, you don't want kids, don't ask her to pray for you. That's kind of how it works. Uh-oh. Uh, I tell her all the time: don't you be laying hands on yourself, neither. We done. Right but there's just this there's just this power this explosiveness that comes with the holy spirit and these gifts that follow tongues interpretation prophecy there is healing discernment words of wisdom words of knowledge this is there's power that comes from this I'll give you one more instance that it was interesting is I was a youth pastor in Laredo Texas and we had a little game room set up and there were students that would be off of school and they'd come and they'd do their homework and hang out or they'd come and play pool, play video games or whatever. And there was this young lady and young man playing pool together and I was walking through the, uh, the, uh, the space to the back. I don't know what I was doing. I was looking for something. And as I got three quarters of the way there, I literally stopped. I felt like God put like a wall in front of me and said, turn around. Okay. And that's how I obey God. Okay. I don't have to have a reason to turn around. He just said, turn around. So I turned around. I started walking back to where I'd come from, and I stopped at that pool table, and I literally looked at them. I was like, hey, what's up, guys? He looked at me. He was like, y'all need to stop sleeping together. No one even knew they were dating. And I didn't know. God just gave it to me, and I gave it to them, and they were like, who told you to tell? Who told you? And so then we sat down and that was like, that was, it just blurted out of me like that. Now, it comes out a little bit softer, a little bit gentler nowadays because I'm mature. And as you mature, so do the gifts that are in you mature. And so it came out, but we had a great conversation. And so, but this is the way God moves. It's, it's powerful and it's meant for the changing of life. But there's also a very practical side. Of being spirit-filled. There's also a, a day-to-day, everyday power of being, living a spirit-filled life. Ephesians chapter 5 says it like this. Don't be drunk with wine. That should just already tell you, hey, check your Friday night. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Pretty, pretty simple. But it said instead be filled with the spirit. So the question arose in my mind: well, why would it, why would these two pieces go together? Don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the spirit. Here's the the reality of this. And and you could substitute wine for almost anything in this context. Because the idea is simply this: when we are stressed, when we are anxious, when we're depressed, when we're when we have a hole, when we're missing something in our lives, we oftentimes try to fill it. Some folks fill it with wine, some folks fill it with drugs. Some folks fill it with relationships and we'll keep it G-rated. No, they fill it with sex. There's no children in here. We don't have to keep it G-rated. They fill it with pornography. They fill it with all types of things to appease that hole that's missing. But Paul said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Because by filling yourself with the Spirit, you won't have the desire to fill yourself with wine. You won't have the desire to fill yourself with drugs you do not have the desire to fill yourself with any of these other things that take the place of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's telling them, don't be drunk with wine because it's going to ruin your life. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. And now remember, you can learn a lot from Scripture from what it says, but you can also learn a little bit from what it doesn't say. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because that will save your life. So this idea of being Spirit-filled, according to Paul, is both, here's to understand, in this, in this, in this one passage, is both a command and it's continuous. Be filled is a directive. It wasn't, say, it wasn't an option. It wasn't say hey, if you feel like it, if you're up for it, you know, hey, go ahead and be filled with the Spirit. It'd be good for you. You'd be all right. No, he said be filled. Matter of fact, it's not the only place that directive was given. But that's one of the most powerful ones. And then that word be filled is one of those dual meaning things. It's a continuous, just like we say, you know, knocking the door will be open to you. You know, you could walk up to a friend's house and go, And don't know what to answer, but you know they're home. So what do you do? That word actually means knock. Keep on knocking until the door is actually opened. Or until God says, seriously, stop knocking on my door to go try another one. But that's that's what it means. It's a continuous and a command. So it's not just a simple one-time thing. It's so much more than that. It's every day. So how do we live this everyday spirit-filled life? Number one, these are your four blanks that we have, and we're going to roll through them quickly. Number one, in order to live this everyday spirit-filled life, you have to let him lead. Let him lead. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You don't guide God. You don't guide his spirit, he guides you. So let him lead. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. If you let him lead, he's telling you about the future upon, on that leading. And here's the cool thing he's just not gonna tell you whatever he wants, he's gonna tell you what he heard. Well, who'd he hear it from? He heard it from the Father. The Father is directly speaking to the Holy Spirit concerning you. That's why a relationship with the Holy Spirit is very important. You can't, you can't separate them because that's how we hear today. We hear because the Holy Spirit speaks. We do because the Holy Spirit leads. So, number one, you've got to let Him lead. I mean, I'm talking, let me tell you how, how much I make this a part of my life with my children. I could ask my son, hey, where do you want to college? And he'll say, oh, I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to do this. I want to do that. Same thing with my daughter. My daughter started out saying, oh, I want to go to, I want to go to, uh, to uh, what was that school? Tulane. She want to go to Tulane University. I want to go to Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm like, oh, God, no. Beautiful city, beautiful culture, but no. Been there, done that. I know literally what that sin life looks like because I've been there in that space. But I, I could have just said, "Uh uh-uh, oh, absolutely not. You're not going there. But instead on her own, prayerfully and chose to go to Bible college. As a matter of fact, she turned down scholarships that were going to give her some money to play volleyball in order to go to Bible college. Why? Because that's where the Holy Spirit was speaking to her. So I'm like, yeah, that's that's how simple, that's how much. Don't go to school where you want to go to school. Don't change your job because you want to change the job. How about you change the job that God wants you to have? How about you don't stay a day longer than you're supposed to and you don't leave a day earlier than you're supposed to. That's the same thing. Job, church, school, all of it. The spirit of God leads. Let him lead. Number two, while we're letting him lead, there's a progression to this, just so you'll know. As, you, as you're letting him lead, then guess what? Do the right thing. There's absolutely a right thing to do. James chapter four reminds us. He says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. See, we think, oh, well, I I don't cuss, and I don't murder, and I don't get high, and I don't get drunk. I'm good, but it's just as much a sin to know what you're supposed to do and not do it. You might have all these big sins covered, but God says, go pay for that person's meal, and you don't do it. That sin is the same as, as everything else. There's no levels to sin. There's consequence levels, but there's no levels to your sin. So if it's, it's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. You are supposed to love people. It is a sin to not love them. You're supposed to show them grace and show them mercy. It's a sin to not do it. I have, called, whew, I have called out so many pastor friends and believers that I don't even pastor simply because of the way they destroy the current president or the way they destroy the Democratic or the liberals or whoever, whatever they do, whoever they are attacking on their social media, I call them out. And I, my simple thing is, where is mercy? Question. And that's where I leave it. Because this is what happens. We we get so caught up in what we think and what we believe that we want to just project it upon everyone else. And it's our manifestation of it. And it's usually our frustration that's manifesting, not our grace and our love. That's why when I moved here, I refused. When I moved here, I got contacted, especially when the people found out I was a pastor, and there was a church coming, and I got contacted all the time. I need you to, get, take, I need you to take a month and bring your church and stand in front of this woman's crisis center and hold a sign that says, God hates abortion. And I'm like, no. Like, why not? I said, because where's mercy in that? Where's love in that? I'll hold a sign that says, come here, let me hug you. Let me love you. I don't really care. I, I, I do care, but... I'm supposed to love people, not show them a sign that says God hates what they just did. They don't need the sign to tell them that. I promise you, I have never met a person yet with a conscience, (laughs) I will say, that has, has done that, that's not felt shame themselves. I don't need to be the one to shame them. Mercy. I said our church will always be known for what it's for, not what it's against. And so do the right thing. Number three, pay attention. We get so consumed with life that we put our blinders on and all we can see is the step in front of us. We lose everything in our peripheral vision. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will function so much more in your peripheral vision than he ever will in your direct vision. He is calling us to walk with our head up, aware of what's around us, aware of who's around us. Job chapter 36 says this in verse 11, if they listen and obey God, they will be blessed with prosperity throughout their lives and their years will be pleasant. If they listen and obey, we can't listen if we're not paying attention. This is, just so all y'all know, I'm preaching hard to myself right now. I cannot, li- I cannot listen if I'm not paying attention. And I've shared it many, many times. I don't need to go down that rabbit trail. My kids understand it. My wife understands it. I'm not listening. Not because I don't want to, but just because I'm just not doing it. Which I'll go back and, pre- re- and, and visit number two. Do the right thing. Because it's sin if you don't. But pay attention. If they listen and obey. See, there's two parts. You have to listen, and then you have to obey. You have to hear what God is telling you, and then you have to move in that direction of what he's telling you. It's, it's, you can't, there's, there's no, it, think about it, there's two questions. If you get one wrong, you what? You fail. If you go to class, when you were in school, and they had a two-question test, which I don't know if they ever did that very much, but you got one wrong, you automatically failed. That's how this works. Listen and obey. And God's not just saying, hey, listen and obey, period. He says, because if you do, you'll be blessed with prosperity throughout your life, and your years will be pleasant. That is not to suggest that everything that happens to you will be blessed, and not everything that happens to you will be prosperous, and not everything that happens to you will be pleasant, but you will be pleasant. You will be blessed, and you will be prosperous. When God speaks that way, he's not referring to your situation. He's referring to your heart. So, pay attention. Last one is this. Worship team, come and get set as I close this message out right here. The fourth and final thing to walking out this practical, spirit filled life is very simply keep in step. You're listening, you're obeying, and you're keeping in step. How do you keep in step? This is where other people come. Other people come in this time. Keep in step. When I served in the United States Army, marching was one of those things they spent hours and hours and hours on getting it right. And every single bit of what they taught us was about keeping in step. Now, when you are walking alone, you're in step with yourself but you weren't designed that way. You were designed to walk with others. And so the idea of keeping in step is just like what they do in the military. It's left, right, left, right, everyone moving in unison, but it takes you being around other people to truly keep in step. I mean, think about it. How many times have you gone at it alone and then by the time you got halfway out there, wherever it is you were going, you're wondering how on earth did I get where I am? But when you have somebody walking with you, a small circle, if you will, walking with you, keeping you in step, you won't venture too far off the path. Mainly because you've given people the ability and the authority to speak into your life that way. I've got that. I've got people that I walk with that I have given them. Hey, if you feel that I'm starting to get out of step, do me a favor. Let's sit down and have a conversation. Help me stay in step. And there are people that I do that with and for. Because that's the design of everything. Because when you're asking for the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit for wisdom regarding other people, it's really good to have other people giving you wisdom. Not everything and is only. I mean, because even the Bible tells us to seek wisdom from others. You're not supposed to seek all wisdom and everything just from God. Yes, you consult God. Yes, you pray and seek the Lord, but God uses other people to impart wisdom into our lives. Why do you think Moses took an empowered people why do you think the disciples chose seven men full of the spirit to wait on tables to take care of people because they needed wisdom in their lives and so they used other people to bring wisdom to themselves but also to the people that they were leading and so as you begin your day you're asking the spirit of God to help you to be alert to what he's prepared for you and when you walk into a store you're asking the spirit to allow you to interact with somebody is this part of your day Do you walk into a store saying, Holy Spirit, show me who I'm supposed to interact with today. Show me who I'm supposed to witness to, who I'm supposed to love, who I'm supposed to share, who I'm supposed to to give to today. That's living a Spirit-filled and Spirit-led life. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this, says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Other versions say, do not quench the spirit. This is another one of these thoughts that have gotten kind of twisted in the church. People think because I've had someone has said, because you don't let somebody sing in tongues, you're quenching the spirit. I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm sorry. I don't believe that. Not according to my Bible. I'm not. But when God is calling you to respond to Him, this is what I want you to ask yourself. This is on the bottom of your notes. This could be perhaps the most powerful two questions you ask yourself today. When God is calling you to respond to you to him, number one, are you thankful because he took the time to speak to you? Or are you more concerned about the cost or outcome of your obedience? It's a weighty question. Are you thankful that God took the time to speak to you? Or are you concerned with what it might cost you? So in closing, there's this subjective element to this of the Spirit. And you could misapply or misunderstand the direct or indirect teachings of the Word of God in your life when it comes to the Holy Spirit and how He is leading you and guiding you. A Spirit-empowered person, listen, desires to humbly walk through life. Humbly walk through through life. People have said some outlandish things and they're attributing to God. And just a couple of examples, you know. All things being good and all things being healthy, the Holy Spirit told me to leave my husband. Or the Holy Spirit told me to give away all my money. Or God told me to leave the church. God told me to quit my job. God told me to give away my car. God told me to drop out of school. Now, it is absolutely possible that God would say these things to you. All of them in, con- in consistency with Scripture. God will not tell you to leave your husband or leave your wife if it's if it's a God-ordained and designed marriage. He sets apart reasons why you can leave, but not just arbitrarily because, hey, you know, that the Lord said I can go. It's time for me to go. Same thing with your money and the church and everything else. So yeah, God does call people to give away everything they have. But this is where it takes discernment and wisdom from other people. See, because it's also possible for a sinful person to upload their sinful desires and attribute those things to God. Because it's what I want. So it's what I want that means God told me to do it. That's why it's imperative that you walk humbly in this journey called life.